Today's passage is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of well, if we haven't had the uh, privilege of meeting yet, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Exilic. And if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, a few weeks ago, we actually started a new collection of sermons on the uh, book of Genesis. And last week, uh, we talked about day number six, where God makes us. And if you weren't here last week because of Mother's Day, we actually did a whole sermon on the body. And there's a lot of confusion in our culture today about what the body is and what the body is not. And so if you missed out on that, uh, you can go check out that sermon on Spotify or iTunes or our website. Uh, but today, we're not going to be talking about the sixth day. Uh, instead, we're going to be talking about the seventh day and how on this day, God took a rest. And I remember reading this passage this week and thinking, that sounds so nice. You know, I, I'm a dad with two kids, and the oldest is seven years old. While God took a rest on the seventh day, I haven't taken a rest in seven years. I haven't slept in seven years. Uh, I remember once I was sitting right there, uh, right, right before coming up to preach, and I actually told Pastor Gene, I was like, I could fall asleep right now if I wanted to. I can take a nap at any time of the day. Like, that is how exhausted I am. And when you're tired, like, your inner life feels, like, disheveled, right, and fragmented. Um, my wife sends me reels almost every day, and one of the themes of these reels are, um, uh, are about exhausted parents. And this is TMI. But um, one secret that dads sometimes do is that they will go number two for like 40 minutes because <laughs> that, that bathroom is their sanctuary. <laughs> it's the only sacred time and sacred space that they have. And, and the reason why we need that, and this applies to all of us, by the way, is because if we don't have sacred time and sacred space, like, we're going to experience meltdowns, right? We're not going to be healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually. All of us need some kind of sacred space and sacred time. And this, by the way, is why God made the seventh day. Uh, one of the most fascinating things to me about God is that God is never mentally unhealthy, God is never emotionally unhealthy or spiritually unhealthy. He sees more than we can see, but he's perfectly fine. But with us, when we see a lot of the different things or experience a lot of things, we are not uh, as mentally or emotionally as healthy as we want to be. And knowing that we are not God, God creates a seventh day for us to experience rest. So look with me at verse 1 and 2. And it says this, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished 
the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In Genesis 1, God creates everything in six days, but he rests on the seventh day. Now, why did God take a rest? Was it because he was physically exhausted after making the entire cosmos? Psalm 121 says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So God did not take a rest because he was tired. Rather, instead of taking an external rest on the seventh day, what God is doing here is that he is experiencing an internal rest. He is appreciating, enjoying, and celebrating all the work of his hands during those six days. So it's no coincidence that he actually takes a rest on the seventh day because the number seven is very symbolic in the Bible. It signifies completeness, wholeness, satisfaction, fulfillment. And so it is on this day that as God looks back at the work he has done, he experiences a sense of completion, wholeness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. And you know what? That completeness and wholeness, fulfillment, satisfaction that God experiences on the seventh day is the same thing that God wants you to experience in your life. Not division, not chaos, not fragmentation, not brokenness, but wholeness in your life. And study after study shows right now that we are not at that place. And so I think what that means is that the seventh day now more than ever has to play a pivotal part in the rhythms and cadences of our life. Now, one way we can experience a deeper sense of rest is to talk about the physical external aspect. So taking a nap, taking a walk at Central Park, putting our phones down, setting up more boundaries in our life. And so we can talk about the physical aspect of experiencing rest. But rather than taking that approach today, I want to talk more about what it means to experience an internal sense of rest and not just an external sense of rest. Chuck DeGroat wrote this. Uh, God's command to rest is, in essence, an invitation to return to Eden in all its beauty, wholeness, and shalom. For all the Christian chatter about keeping Sabbath, I suspect most of us don't know what it means at all. We may define rest as stopping, sleeping, relaxing, enjoying, and all of these are very good, but we forget that we're literally incapable of rest if we're divided. Our inner divisions are what keep us from rest. And I think one way of experiencing that peace, that shalom inside of our hearts is not only by just relaxing, but specifically relaxing in Jesus. Pete Scazzaro lists several ways to know whether we are truly relaxing in Jesus or we're not relaxing in Jesus. And Scazzaro says, you know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're enjoying communion with Jesus even in the midst of disappointments and storms. That's how you know. You know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're experiencing a lack of anxiety in your body. You know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're maintaining rhythms of being with Jesus in seasons of great pressure. You know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're less triggered by things going awry. You're present to the beauty and wonder of those around you. On the next slide. 
You know you're relaxing when you're enjoying a deep sense of knowing you have nothing to gain and nothing to lose. You only want God's will for your life. You know you're relaxing when you experience deep contentment in caring for other people just as God has entrusted you. You know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're receiving God's gift of limits rather than fighting, ignoring, or denying them. And you know you're relaxing in Jesus when you're discerning and embracing the season in which God has placed you in. That's how you know you're relaxing in Jesus. And so a question I wanna ask all of us today is this, are you relaxing in him or are you uptight and not relaxing in him? I think that the first step for us to take to truly relax then in Jesus is to set apart one day, just as he did, to have the sacred time and sacred space uh, to be with him. If you take a look at verse three again, it says, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now what's interesting about this verse is that when you think about the other six days, God never calls any of those days holy. The only day that he refers to as holy is the seventh day. And the word holy means simply to set something apart. So you might have like a fancy dress or tuxedo that you set apart for special occasions. You might have fine china that you set apart for special occasions. And on this day, the seventh day, God sets it apart. In other words, it looks different than the other six days. And he calls this day holy. So whenever something is set apart, it's set apart for a reason. And the reason why he sets apart the seventh day is because he wants us to have this sacred time and sacred space to enjoy the work that he did as our creator. And the reason God set apart this one day a week is not only for him to enjoy his work, but he also wants us to enjoy his work as well. But not only as our creator, but he wants us to set aside this time and space to enjoy his work, not just as our creator, but our savior as well on this day. A few weeks ago, uh, my family and maybe 20 to 30 other exilic people were in Mexico for a wedding. And a lot of us happened to be there on Sunday still because uh, our flights were on Monday. So we uh, spontaneously decided to have exilic Mexico uh, in our suite, and, uh, and there just happened to be a worship leader that was there, a scripture reader that was there, and so it was like perfect. And so we had this sort of like corpus, uh, this liturgy, we did a short sermon and whatnot, and it was great. And one of the things I appreciate about that is that no matter where God's people are, on this day, we set it apart from all the other days. It has to look different. It can't look the same. There has to be something about this day where it is about him and it is not about us. I was talking with an old friend of mine many, many moons ago, and our relationship is close enough where um, we can be blunt with one another. And one of the things that they said was, I don't like going to afternoon services uh, because it ruins my day. And tongue in cheek, I said to them, oh, I didn't know it was your day. I thought it was his day. 
This day is not my day. It is not your day. It is not Robert Goodell's day, the commissioner of the NFL. It is not the NFL's day, as good of a job as they have done. This is the Lord's day. And when it is someone's day, they are the center of attention, not anyone else. One of the things that um, I love about our church, and I've seen this pattern happen all the time, is that we'll be at some kind of like special occasion, birthday, graduation, wedding, whatever. And it's that person's day. And inevitably, someone else in the group also has special news that they want to announce, promotion, pregnant, whatever. But instead of stealing attention away from that person's day, they refrain from announcing their news because they want all the attention to be on that person. Why? Because it's their day. It's not their day. And similarly, as we gather here, today is not our day, it's his day. And so that means all the attention is brought to him. The Apostle John writes in Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. We have six other days where it can be all about us all about you, but just one day a week, he wants you to make it about him. And one way we can set apart this sacred time and space to be with him is by gathering together as a family to worship God together, the church. During the pandemic, um, Barna said that one out of three Christians have stopped attending church altogether you might know of some people. Another one out of three has stopped coming to church as frequently. And it captures the capitalistic, consumeristic, individualistic mindset that has inoculated all of us, not just some of us. Donald Miller summarizes this well when he wrote why I don't go to church very often when he said this, I'd say half of the most impactful people I know who love Jesus and tear up at the mention of his name, who reach out to the poor and lonely and are fundamentally sound in their theology, who create institutions, feed hundreds of thousands, do not attend a traditional church service. Many of them even speak at churches, but they have no home church and don't long for one. And so here, the sentiment is, I follow Jesus, but I don't follow the church without realizing that Jesus made the church, loves the church, died for the church, and by the way, is head of the church. He is head of this body, and the head is connected to the body. And so if you have a relationship with the head, you must also have a relationship with his body. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you went on a date, you found someone on Hinge, first date, and they go up to you and they say, you have like the prettiest face, handsomest face I have ever seen, but your body, <laughs> not, not so much. How would that make you feel? How would that make you feel? offended because the body is a part of who you are. 
Now, how do you think Jesus feels when you criticize or abandon his body? It is a part of who he is. He is the head of this body that is the church. Yeah, but I don't get anything out of church. I've come before. I've come for years. I've come for decades, and I don't get anything out of it. But you've already forgotten that this day is not your day. I don't go to a wedding and say, I don't get anything out of this, or someone else's birthday party and say, I don't get anything out of this, so I'm not going to go. No, it's not my day. It's their day. Yeah, but I'm not going to even remember anything tomorrow. I don't even remember what I ate for dinner last week. But it is all those forgotten meals that have physically nourished me to where I am today. And similarly, it is all your spiritually forgotten meals, Sunday after Sunday, that will nourish you to where you are today. Yeah, but I've had so many bad experiences with the church. I've had bad experiences at restaurants, but I still go out to eat. Jesus loves the church made the church, died for the church, is the head of the church. And if he did all of those things, we have to as well. In Hebrews 10, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. The reason why we cannot stop meeting together is because this is our sacred time and sacred space. This is our sanctuary. Not the bathroom, not your couch, not not Central Park, not Equinox. This is our sanctuary, and it is on this day where we are made whole again. I remember during the pandemic, my wife Hannah and I would just sing in front of the computer, just the two of us, because we weren't allowed to assemble together. But like many of you, I remember vividly, like vividly, where I was the first time I gathered together with like a small group of people. And just hearing other people sing for the first time in like years, you have no idea how my soul was just lifted up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that when your faith is weak, you have to borrow the faith, the stronger faith of your brother and sister. And on that day, I borrowed their faith. It is on this day that we confess out loud to the world what it is we believe in. It is on this day that we confess our sins individually, but also corporately, our sins to God and to the world. It is on this day that we hear God's word being preached to us and him speaking to us. It is on this day that we partake in a family meal that will nourish us for that long spiritual pilgrimage called life that we experience. It is on this day that we give our money, declaring to the world this money and everything that I have, by the way, is not mine. He gave me all of these things, so I gladly, insanely, give a large percentage away. 
It is on this day that we gather together to fellowship with brothers and sisters because there is not only an economic recession, but there is a friendship recession that is taking place now more than ever. By the way, my Tuesday CG is going out to Central Park right after service today. It is on this day that we are made whole again. I was in Brooklyn yesterday, and as many of you might know, um, Brooklyn has the highest concentration of Jews outside of Israel. I think one out of four people in Brooklyn are Jewish. And one group in particular, um, Hasidic Jews, are just so fascinating to me. And I was watching a documentary about Hasidic Jews and their way of life and traditions. And one of the things that not only Hasidic Jews do, but all religious Jews do, is that they celebrate the Shabbat, or the Sabbath. And it begins for them on Friday night with the lighting of a candle to signify the beginning of the sacred space and time. And then on Saturday night, they <laughs> blow out the candle, signifying that this sacred time and space, this day, has now ended. And as I was watching the documentary, one of the people in the video said that for them, the Shabbat, or the Sabbath, is the single most important building block of living life. Let me just say that again. For them, the Sabbath is the single most important building block of living life. Now, what would take place in your life, in our church, if you saw this day as the single most important building block of your week ahead, and not only your week ahead, but your life as a whole? Think about the transformation that would take place, the expectations that would change as well. Now this begs the question then, why do they celebrate the Shabbat, Friday night to Saturday night, and why are we here today on Sunday morning? In John 20, it says this, early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Acts 20, verse seven. On the first day of the week, that is Sunday, we came together to break bread. In 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each of you, that is the, Galatia, uh, that is the church, one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. While it is not a 11th commandment for us to worship on Sunday, there does seem to be a shift that has taken place from the time of Moses to Jesus, where in the past they worshiped on Saturday, but after Jesus, they started worshiping on Sunday for two reasons. Number one, it was on this day that Jesus resurrected and that was paradigm shifting for them. But there's a second reason why God's people started worshiping on the first day of the week. And theologians are right to point out that the pattern now has changed. Whereas before Jesus, the pattern of the week was work, work, work. And then on the last day of the week, Saturday, rest. So work and rest. After the resurrection, we now rest on the first day of the week and it is out of our rest we now work. Do you see that paradigm shift? Now every religion, including secularism, has a work, 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 
to earn some kind of rest paradigm. So whether it's work, and then you'll get nirvana, reincarnation, the American dream, you gotta work to earn it, right? You're working for the weekend. But in Christianity, we rest first. And the reason for that is because Jesus has done all the work of salvation already for us. We don't have to earn it. He's already done all the work on our behalf. And just as God finished his work of creation, Jesus has finished the work of our salvation. Just as God rested on the seventh day, Jesus rests in the grave for three days. But he was not done working yet. One of the fascinating things to me about the seventh day is that it is not only created or made holy, but there is no mention of evening or morning on the seventh day. The first six days, it always says, and then it was evening, and then it was morning on the first day, and then it was evening, and then it was morning on the second day. But on the seventh day, there is no mention of evening or morning, signifying the fact that this was the day without end. And what this Sabbath, uh, seventh day is ultimately pointing to is the ultimate eternal rest that we all need that Jesus ushers us into, which is why in Hebrews 4 it says this, for if Joshua, who was the successor of Moses, who led the people into the promised land, and by the way, Jesus's Hebrew Aramaic name was Yeshua, or Joshua. For if the first Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters, into, enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that eternal rest. This past Friday, uh, as many of you know, um, uh, Tim Keller uh, died of pancreatic cancer. And, um, and I'm, I'm still like trying to process how to handle this void uh, in my life and I'm sure in many of your lives as well. If you don't know who he is, he, he was a pastor here in the city for over 30 years, New York Times bestseller, um, considered one of the 50 best leaders, not pastors, 50 best leaders in the world. As far as pastors, like he's, he's the goat. <laughs> and he has um, the single most important, single greatest influence in the way that I think about everything. And leading up to this week, um, uh, as he was under hospice care, he was praying with his family, and one of the things that he said, obviously in a lot of pain, was, um, I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. And I think the reason why Tim had such a sense of peace, shalom, and wholeness as he was dying was because he found his ultimate rest in Jesus. He wasn't restless. There was a cathartic peace that was over him. And the reason for that 
is because the worst thing death can do to you is to take you to that eternal rest. That is the worst thing that can happen to you. For us as followers of Jesus, this is the closest thing we will ever get to experiencing hell. It only gets better. <laughs> but if you don't have Jesus in your life, and I don't think I'm inconsistent when I'm saying this, but within a secular worldview, this is your heaven. This is as good as it will get for you. It will only get worse. That's the pattern in secularism. But in Christianity, we see that the pattern is life will only get better. No amount of vacation or travel or sleep will give you the ultimate rest and shalom and peace that you are looking for. There is only one person that can do that for you every single day and is not only our creator, but our savior. So in the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, divided, fragmented, and broken. Come to me on this day, and I will give you rest. So come, let's pray together. Father, many of us are externally exhausted, internally exhausted, divided, broken, and fragmented, and the list goes on and on. As we start another week, it, it can feel daunting to do that. For some of us, we face such pressure and trials that we feel a weight that is too heavy for us to carry. And so I am praying that we would relax in you, that we will find wholeness in you, Help us to experience resurrection even now when we feel heavy laden. Give us the rest that we need. In your name I pray, amen.